I think every hunter in the country talks about that. And the answer is an emphatic no. The science is very clear. There is no, there is no October lull. There are movement study after movement study, north, south, east, and west, uh, looking at deer movement patterns. And every single one of them show very clearly that deer moving on a daily basis, buck moving in particular, on a daily basis from summer increases through the fall until they get into the rut. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and today we're going to be talking with NDA's own Kip Adams about what deer research has taught us about things like the October lull, the timing of the rut, the lockdown phase, and and a lot more. Um, Kip's a wildlife biologist. He's NDA's chief conservation officer a mentor to new hunters, and just a wealth of uh, knowledge when it comes to deer hunting and deer management. So I know you guys are going to enjoy that discussion that we're going to have today. Uh, Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Whitetail Properties. Uh, If you have a dream of owning your own hunting land, or maybe you're in the process of looking for your first hunting property, be sure to check those guys out at whitetailproperties.com. Uh, They're the only land real estate company out there that requires their agents to become level two deer stewards. So you know you're going to be dealing with somebody who knows what to look for in a deer hunting and a a deer management type of property. So be sure to check those guys out. Uh, With that, we have several things going on right now with the National Deer Association. I know we've been telling you guys every week about our special membership offer for podcast listeners. And that's still going on. You can uh, it'll, that'll save you five dollars off of an annual membership, and you'll get a free NDA cap. All you have to do is go to our website at deerassociation.com, click on join or renew link. Either one doesn't matter if you're a current member or not. You can take advantage of this offer and use the promo code podcast. And again, that's going to get you five dollars off that annual membership fee and a free NDA cap. Uh, but we also have a couple other membership offers running right now. Um, one we mentioned on the last podcast, uh, this one is actually wrapping up this Friday, October 8th, but it's a special membership promotion with our friends at First Light where you can join the NDA for a year. Uh, you're going to receive a free NDA trucker cap and First Light's new Spectre camo. So a great looking cap. And you're also going to get a $25 First Light gift certificate that you can use to buy First Light apparel. So about $90 worth of stuff there for a $75 membership fee. And of course, any of the apparel you buy uh, in that Spectre camo through First Light, uh, First Light donates a percentage of that sale back to the NDA through their Camo for Conservation Initiative. So you can check out that special membership offer at DeerAssociation.com slash first light or just go to our homepage at deerassociation.com and look for that big first light membership special banner at the top of the page and then we just added a new membership offer this past monday uh this one it's a hundred dollar offer you're going to get an annual nda membership with all the the standard deliverables you know your quality whitetails magazine your nda vehicle decal and nda cap 
But with this one, you're also going to get a great looking NDA pullover in your choice of either black or charcoal gray. And if you want to learn more about that offer, you can do it at deerassociation.com slash holiday membership. So be sure to check that one out. Uh, if you're not a member of the NDA, uh, we would we would love to have you on board. So uh, again, three great offers there you can choose from. One last thing I want to touch on before we get on the phone here with Kip. We do have a new beer and deer webinar uh, coming up next Wednesday, October 13th. So we've changed the the night of those from Monday to Wednesday. Uh, we did a we did a poll of uh, several weeks back uh, asking you about the these webinars and, and different aspects of it. And the majority of you indicated that Wednesday night would be the best night. So we're going to try that. Uh, on that Wednesday, October 13th, we're going to be hosting Dr. Dwayne Diefenbach of Penn State University and the Deer Force Study. Uh, they, they, they've been conducting for, for years now. Uh, just a lot of great research information. But Dwayne's going to be discussing how deer move during the rut and during hunting seasons in the big woods. So just going to be a very timely discussion for this time of year uh, when a lot of deer seasons are open across the country. So I know you guys will enjoy that. It's a free webinar. doesn't cost you anything. We just need you to, uh, you can go on our website and get signed or go ahead and get registered to attend that just so we have a kind of have a head count and know how many folks we're going to have in there. But that that's completely free. And I would encourage you to check those out. We're going to have those again on the second Wednesday of every month going forward. So be sure to check out our Beer and Deer webinars. And with that, guys, let's jump on the phone here with Kip Adams to discuss some of the important things that we've learned over the years from deer research. All right, guys, I got Kip Adams on the line. Uh, Kip, how you doing? I'm doing good. Gee, how you doing this morning? I'm doing well, man. Uh, deer season is is open here in Georgia now, and you know we're quickly uh, approaching my my favorite time of year, so it's all good. Yeah, we're finally just about open in Pennsylvania. By the time this this broadcast, uh, we will have opened, but uh, we're one of the later states this year. So uh, I've been following you and and other friends hunting. So I'm excited for you, <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to our opener getting here. Oh yeah, yep, absolutely. Now, what when is your alls? Is it October one or? It's always the last Saturday in September or first Saturday in October, um, just however the calendar falls. And, and this year, it's not until the first Saturday in October. So uh, October 2nd uh, is our opener, uh, a little later than we typically have it. But uh, our, our bow season shuts down earlier than most states, too. So by starting a little later, that gives us a little bit more time into mid-November, which, uh, which is pretty exciting for us. Yeah. Now, I think I saw where, where your son, Bo, he's already... He's already been able to get out and had some success this year, hadn't he? He is. We have a good friend in Maryland uh, who invited him down uh, to, to hunt. Uh, their season starts uh, a lot sooner than ours. So, uh, yeah, he shot uh, he shot two does, which uh, was a great way to start the season. And uh, he, he hasn't rubbed it into his sister at all, if you can imagine that, uh, that she hasn't got <laughs> yeah. to hunt and, uh, and he has. So uh, there's, there's some great hunting conversations in the Adams household for sure. So, uh, uh, but yeah, we've. We, uh, I got my uh, hunting fix on a little early uh, since we haven't started here in Pennsylvania getting to go to Maryland. So uh, God bless Maryland for starting early and uh, for us having a good friend there that invites us down. There you go. Any other uh, big hunting plans this season other than, you know, I know you'll be hunting a good bit there on your, your home property, but uh, you, you heading anywhere else this year? Yeah, you're right. We will, or I'll do most of my hunting right here at home. Um, 
with my kids and, you know, and that way we get to hunt places that, uh, you know, that we've enhanced habitat and, but uh, um, yeah, my, my daughter doesn't, doesn't take the ribbon too bad that her brother is on the board already because uh, I'm taking <laughs> her to North Dakota in November. So uh, uh, that's, that's, again, that's a one tag thing. So I won't be hunting. She will, but uh, at least I will be there. And uh, so uh, as, uh, as he lets her know that he's already on the board this year, she just reminds him that in November when he's at school, uh, she's going to be hunting in, in North Dakota. So uh, that kind of evens the score between the two of them. There you go. Man, that, that's a, that's a cool thing. That's one thing, man, I, I, I love hunting. I always love hunting, but when, when you got kids and, and you get them into hunting, it just takes a, uh, a whole new level or a whole new meaning to it. You know, when you can get out and, and spend, spend time with them, especially on trips, like you're talking about there, it's just, that's, uh, some of my best memories are, are sharing those kind of experiences with my kids. So I know, uh, you guys will, uh, enjoy that and, and have a great time for sure, regardless of, of whether any tags are filled. That's right. That's right. I agree a hundred percent. But b- before we get too far down the road here and with the podcast, can you, uh, can you just tell the listeners a, a little bit about yourself and, and maybe how you were introduced to the outdoors and, and to deer hunting? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Northern Pennsylvania. I grew up on a dairy farm and, uh, and at that time, you know, geez, man, just about everybody I knew hunted. My dad hunted, my grandparents hunted, my grandmother hunted. My uncle hunted, my cousins did, my friends did, everybody hunted. And, you know, that was an era when you literally could just walk out the back door and, uh, and just go. And uh, I, at the time, you know, didn't realize how lucky I was. Uh, I knew that I enjoyed it. Um, but, uh, boy, looking back today, you know, I, I realized that that's very different today. You know, people don't have those same opportunities. But uh, that's how I was exposed. Um, you know, I couldn't wait to go to, to deer camp. And uh, our camp was literally, you know, a mile or two from my house. Uh, uh, you know, we pastured heifers there during the year. And uh, that's where all the guys went during hunting season. And, uh, you know, there was nothing I wanted more than to get old enough uh, to, to be able to go. And in those days in Pennsylvania, you couldn't hunt until you were 12. Uh, my dad let me go to camp and stay with the guys when I was 11. Uh, so that was, uh, that was a big rite of passage for me. But uh, um, I've just always grown up, you know, with my hands in the dirt, you know, around agriculture, around nature. And uh, was impressed upon at a very early age, you know, hey, we're, we're very lucky that we own some land and have cows and have wildlife on it. But, uh, you know, uh, it's our responsibility to take care of those things. So uh, I've always enjoyed enhancing habitat. I've always enjoyed learning all I could about wildlife, you know, and making sure that we provide a good habitat for that. So uh, that, that carried on. And uh, I realized early on that a wildlife biologist is, is what I wanted to be. And uh, um been a biologist for, for more than 20 years now, but I'll say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to be that, but I am first and foremost a deer hunter. And uh, so I think that's what, uh, you know, enables me to relate so well to other hunters and be able to share information, you know, from the National Deer Association with them and, and convince them, hey, you know, th- this is this is good for wildlife. This is how we can make it better. Um, just just because I am, you know, I'm, I'm first and foremost a hunter and uh, that's something I'm pretty darn proud of. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, I'm right there with you. I've got a wildlife biology background, but uh, just as you said, it's always been, you know, a hunter first and foremost and, uh, you know, er- everything else kind of falls after that when it comes uh, career wise. But now your official title here for the National Deer Association is Chief Conservation Officer. Uh, can you tell the folks a little bit about what that entails and, and kind of what maybe some of your, your day-to-day duties are for the National Deer Association. Sure. Uh, I, I, I think I have the best job for, for us. Um, you know, I get to have my hands in a little bit of all of, uh, 
the uh, the educational things that we do. So I get to help develop educational programs and educational materials, um, get my hands in our deer steward program. Uh, I get to teach at all of those classes, which is a ton of fun for me. Um, get to help with our advocacy and our policy work, which is which is so incredibly important in today's day and age, making sure that you know hunters have uh, the access to be able to go and hunt and we have you know the ability to go and hunt. Um, get to, to see uh, oversee some of the research that we're involved with, you know, help from a technical standpoint with that and, and provide comments on a lot of that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, anything that that uh, falls within our mission, you know, relative to, to R3 or, or policy or, or fighting diseases, uh, you know, I get to work in a little bit. So uh, certainly work with some outstanding people and, uh, you know, always doing something a little bit different. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about sharing information and helping people understand more about wildlife and, and how to enhance habitat and, you know, how to introduce others. And so uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky and, uh, and I'm the first to realize it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned educational opportunities area. I know, you know, we we do have a, a lot of different offerings available for those that want to, you know, learn more about, like you said, habitat management, deer management, uh, and, and even, you know, hunting and, and how they can use this, the, the science behind behind deer and, and become a better hunter and, and land manager. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's interested in that kind of stuff, uh, man, just head over to our website at deerassociation.com. You can find all that information uh, there on our website, most of it under the the steward menu heading. But yeah, you can just see some of the educational opportunities there that, that Kip's referring to. But uh, you wrote an article for our latest issue of Quality Whitetails, um, which should be hitting mailboxes about the time this this episode drops. So if you're, if you're an NDA member, that should be getting to you soon. Uh, if you're not, it's not too late to to join and still get that issue. But uh, you wrote an article in there called Three Big Deer Stories. And a uh, great article, a little bit of a twist, I guess, on the title there, because it the, the big part wasn't necessarily in reference to the size of the deer. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that, Those maybe those hunts and kind of what made those uh, big deer stories? Sure. Um, you know, and the idea for that came from, you know, I had I had been talking to somebody else relative to you know, some deer we'd seen or, or what was going on. And I had talked about a particular hunt and they said, you know, oh, did you kill a big deer? And, uh, and in my mind, you know, I thought a deer doesn't, and I knew what he was talking about. He meant something, you know, with really big antlers. And, uh, and I remember thinking I had a phenomenal hunt. Um, we did not kill a huge buck, you know, but in my mind, like my answer was really, if I said yes, he was going to think, oh, you had a great hunt. And if I said no, he was going to think, oh, it must be, it wasn't that great. And even though we didn't kill a big buck, it was a phenomenal time. So in my mind, you know, it's not, it didn't take away from the experience. But uh, so I said, you know what I need to do is uh, there is so much talk today just about, you know, big antlers. What did it score? You know, how big was it? Was it? And we'd start to, and, and that's okay. You know, I like antlers too, you know, and I have them hanging all over my house. Um, but, you know, there is so much more to hunting than just big antlers. And uh, so I thought, you know what, as we're approaching deer season here, um, I'm going to write an article uh, about some hunts that I had been on that where we, we killed deer that weren't necessarily huge antler deer. Um, and that from the experience end of it, they were huge. You know, my heart was thumping crazy for every one of them in this particular story. I didn't shoot any of those deer that, you know, other people shot them, but it's people that I was mentoring or I was with. You know, they were excited. You know, their heart was about beating out of their chest. Huge smiles we got done. 
I thought, you know what? Just because those deer, you know, didn't have 150 or, or 200 inches of antlers, it didn't take away anything from how exciting those hunts were. So, uh, yeah, so I did a little play on words, you know, and said, here are three big uh, deer hunts. And, and the big in this case wasn't in reference to, to antler score. It was in reference to either the experience or the smiles that were associated with those hunts. And, uh, you know, in the first one, it was, a, it was a young boy that I met on a camping trip. Uh, his mother is a, is a teacher at the same elementary school that my wife teaches at. And uh, there was a bunch of the teachers and families were, were camping there and were out taking my kids fishing. Uh, and uh, this, this boy was there and, you know, we we're kind of standing around looking. I said, do you want to join us? And he said, sure. So I took him fishing and we had a good time and we walked back to the campers and then we started talking about hunting. As, as you can imagine, the conversation often goes to that. And uh, while we're standing there, um, one of the other uh, fathers that was there asked this boy's name, Jordan, you know, do you hunt? And he said, man, you know, I'd like to, but, uh, you know, I, I don't get much of an opportunity to do that. So I said, you know, would, would you like to hunt more? And he said, I would love to. And I said, I'll make you a deal. So we made a deal that I would take him that fall uh, hunting. And so fast forward to the fall, um, he came and he practiced shooting with me. He practiced learning about deer and shot placement. He did all the right things. And uh, so we, got, we took him hunting. And uh, man, I had a great spot for him. Uh, and at the end of the hunt, we had seen exactly zero deer. We didn't see a single thing. And, uh, you know, I was, I felt bad. I mean, it's part of hunting. You know, we were in a great spot, you know, on our farm and just the way things worked out. Um, so anyway, we immediately made plans for another hunt. And uh, on that one, we were, we were, we were luckier. And uh, he ended up shooting his first deer. It was a, it was a doe. He had a total green light to shoot anything he wanted us, buck, doe, little buck, big buck, anything. It was all legal in the state. He had tags for both. And uh, um, there's another little piece of it that, that's in the article that uh, for folks who read will get to see. But the, he did shoot that doe. He was so excited. And you remember what your first deer was like. I remember what my first one was like, you know, what my kid's first one. And, uh, you know, so he texted his mom immediately. You know, he was so proud of himself. Uh, the next morning, uh, he changed his Facebook profile. And I mean, this is a kid, you know, that, that, uh, I don't know what Jordan was at the time, 12 or 13, you know, so a young guy, um, but just so excited, you know, and so proud. And I vividly remember, you know, how proud I was of my first one, you know, and we took some great pictures that night. And I mean, his smile was just so big that I thought, you know, like who, who in the world could ever tell this kid that this wasn't a big deer, you know, big with quotes, like this was the most important deer in the whole state of Pennsylvania. So, uh, um, that was the first story. The other two stories, uh, one, another one was another new hunter. Uh, that was Jordan's first deer. We had another one where it was another hunter's very first deer. Um, and then, uh, the third one was of my nephew who had shot a few deer. Uh, he was 14, but had never shot a mature buck. And, uh, um, was able to shoot a mature buck with me last year. Didn't have big antlers by any means, but the deer cemento manual at age five and a half years old. So uh, it was just under 200 pounds. It was an unbelievable hunt. And, you know, the circumstances that led up to that and gosh, right down to the rifle he was using, his, uh, his deceased their grandfather's rifle and all. So it was just unbelievable. And uh, so anybody who was hunted understands, you know, it, that there are certain things that happen on some hunts that just really lend them to be, you know, more special than others. Um, sometimes it's, it's disappointment early in a hunt that then, you know, you ends up changing to success and just the emotional roller coaster you're off and on during hunts 
can, you know, you can be the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, you know, in the matter of, uh, you know, just a, a few seconds or a few minutes at times. And, and that's what happened on parts of all three of those hunts. Um, I was lucky, you know, I was with both of my kids when they shot multiple deer last year. Um, but those particular hunts that I just referenced were all just unbelievable experiences. They all ended with venison in the freezer. Those hunters were the happiest people on, you know, on the planet, you know, when they got their hands on those deer. So I thought, you know what? They were so excited. It doesn't matter that they all didn't have, you know, you know, record book scoring antlers. Those were huge, huge hunts. So, so the idea of that was these were the experiences that we were writing about. And so I wanted to share that just because sometimes we get too caught up in, you know, has to have big antlers and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I like big antlers as much as anybody else. But the, if you just focus on the antlers, man, you're missing so much of all the really cool things about hunting. So so that was the purpose of the article. And uh, I sure hope it comes through to readers to realize, man, you know, there is so much fun to be had in the woods. And particularly if you take somebody else with you. So uh, don't don't get too tied down to, to just big antlers. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It, it was a great article. Uh, got me thinking, you know, uh, most uh-huh. of when I think back to, you know, my favorite hunts throughout my, my lifetime or the time I've hunted, you know, most of the time it didn't involve a big buck. And a lot of times it didn't involve me, you know, being the one pulling the trigger. Like you said, it's, it's about, you know, your kids, first deers and, and people you mentor. And so I, that that's one reason, of course, you know, one of our, our big mission goals with the, with the National Deer Association, of course, is you know, R3, like you mentioned, recruitment. And so, man, I would just encourage any of the listeners out there to, to take a little time this fall and introduce someone new, uh, whether it's, you know, whether that be a child or, or you know, your next door neighbor, coworker, relative, whatever the case may be. Um, it's, there, there's just nothing like it, you know, being there with somebody and, and helping them get that, that first deer. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, you may be, changing the, the course of their life, you know, introducing the, a passion into them that, uh, they, they didn't know existed. So yeah, I would, I would definitely encourage anybody who hasn't, um, to, to mentor a new hunter this year. Uh, you I don't think, uh, I can't imagine a situation where you would re- regret, you know, regret that. That's for sure. And you know what? I, we've had some cool merchandise over the years and shirts and stuff, but my favorite shirt of all time we've ever produced was, the, uh, and I'm sure you remember it. Uh, I wore one a lot and it said that we measure success in memories, not inches of antler. And uh, I think that's so true because, you know, it is, you know, you know, your success is, you know, others that you introduce and others that you teach about this and, you know, experiences that you have. And you know, even if you don't shoot anything, you know, the memories of sitting around a campfire or being in a deer camp or spending a day in the woods. So uh, I, I think that that's good. That's that's a true reflection of a, you know, a good organization and a good uh, uh, outlook on something as a yeah, measuring success and memories. So uh, that, we need to bring that shirt back. That was, that was a good seller. And I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good one. By the time this, this episode launches, it's going to be early October. You know, most of the states are going to be open for at least archery deer hunting at this point. And there's probably already going to be a, a lot of guys out there who are who are a little bit bummed because the the buck that they've been watching all summer and getting those trail camera pictures of uh, is suddenly nowhere to be found. Can you talk a little bit about that shift and why these deer, you know, suddenly disappear this time of year? Sure. Um, and you. 
You know what? I can remember numerous years myself thinking, man, I'm watching these deer all summer. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And all of a sudden, hunting season arrives. You're like, where the heck did they go? And hunters across the Whitetails range experienced this. Well, fortunately, through you know GPS collars and, and some newer technology and some movement studies, we're much better able to answer that question today You know, with science to say, okay, here's really what is happening there. And uh, there, there's actually a few things going on. And one of the biggest is deer will, will shift parts of their home range where they spend the majority of their time seasonally. You know, where they are in the winter, they shift that a little bit into the spring, again in summer, and again in fall. And in areas that are open uh, where we can watch deer feed in summer or in the fields during the summer, one, they're there because it is open and we're able to see them. They're there because it's often, you know, an agricultural product that they want to eat. And it's often, you know, the, the best thing in the area to be eating. So they're in a very viewable situation. It's in the summer. Hormone levels are very low. Bucks are grouped up. Everything is good. Life is easy in the summer. Well, right about the time that that velvet sheds, you know, those antlers get hard, there's a lot of things changing in the deer's world. One is the increasing testosterone levels necessary to, to harden those antlers and shed that velvet also makes it that they don't, they're not buddy-buddy anymore. You know, they don't want to be around all those other bucks. So just from that, they're going to start to break up. That's also the time of the year when they start shifting from that summer to that fall uh, home range. So some of that movement occurs anyway, even if hunting season wasn't about to happen. Um, also, and this is a huge thing that, that people don't often realize, is that you start to get a shifting in the preferred food sources. And if you are anywhere where the acorns are dropping, acorns trump everything when they start hitting the ground. Deer love soybeans. They'll stand in a soybean field and eat all day long. But when the acorns start dropping, they're going to go get acorns too. So acorns don't drop out in the middle of those fields. You know, we're not growing oak trees in the middle of ag fields. So just because of that, you get a shift in some of that movement because they now want to be where those other food sources are. So the shifting of the food sources is a huge thing in putting deer in places where they're just not as visible as they have been for so long. So Change in hormone levels, change in food sources really is the first big push that suddenly they aren't where we have been able to see them for the last few months. Now, what about this? Of course, at the same time of year, you also start start hearing hunters complain about the uh, the dreaded October lull, you know, that, that, that mystical time when deer movement just seems to come to a screeching halt. Uh, what does the science support? Or does the science, I guess I should say, support this October lull phenomenon? I think every hunter in the country talks about that. And the answer is an emphatic no. The science is very clear. There is no, there is no October lull. There are movement study after movement study, north, south, east, and west, uh, looking at deer movement patterns. And every single one of them show very clearly that deer movement on a daily basis buck moving in particular, on a daily basis from summer, increases through the fall until they get into the rut. Most of the country, the rut is in uh, November, which means that from September, the activity increases all the way through from September, increases through October until we get into the rut. If you're in the Southeast where you might be rutting at a different time, uh, the months are different, but the movement pattern is exactly the same. Movement will increase during that pre-rut until we get into the rut. So you often don't see as much movement by deer during October. And I'm the same way. I've hunted a lot of days in October and just didn't see as much activity as I thought. However, those deer are moving and they're moving more than they were during September. 
They're just in different places. So we have to adjust tactics to be able to see them. But we also have to remember now they're on different food sources and we have hunting season in many cases has started. So suddenly hunters are in the woods and deer react extremely quickly to our activity and the amount of pressure we put on them. So those deer are not only shifting food sources, they're also reacting to our presence and in many cases shifting times of the day that they're moving. You know, and, and the funny thing is, gee, there are deer seasons that open in, in August in South Carolina. There are deer seasons that open all through September. And there are some archery seasons that don't open till October. But hunters in every single one of those states will talk to you about, well, they were out there in the field. Now they're gone. Well, you know, deer can't be, I mean, there's, we're talking three different months, you know, that you're seeing the exact same thing from all of those deer. And in many cases, you know, we forget to, it's, it's us, it's our activity. We're out hanging stands, we're out scouting, we're checking cameras, we're hunting, we're riding four-wheelers. You know, all of that pressure that has not been applied to those deer that suddenly are, they react to that immediately and, uh, you know, and start spending more time moving at night or in heavier cover than they have been during the summer simply because of us. So what would you recommend, I guess, what, what are some tactics hunters can use that are experiencing this shift, you know, they've, they've been watching these deer all summer, thought they had them patterned. Now suddenly they're, they're gone. They can't seem to find these deer, can't seem to get on deer. What, what are some, I guess, suggestions for those guys on, on how they can kind of get back on these deer and, and find success? The, the single best way is to make sure that you are finding uh, food sources that they're feeding on at that time. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're out of the many of the, the fields. doesn't mean there's not still feeding on some of those food plots or in those ag fields, but they are feeding on a lot of other things in those areas, particularly if you're in a situation where you have, you know, a, a heavy wooded component. As I said, with acorns, they are absolutely there, but there's a lot of other food in those woods as well that they're using. So finding, you know, what they're feeding on then is key. And I'll tell you this, um, I said our archery season opens on Saturday. Um, We've had a terrible acorn year here in northern Pennsylvania. Red oaks and white oaks did very poorly. Some of our chestnut oaks are doing pretty good. But other than that, you know, we don't have that many acorns. However, our wild apple trees are absolutely loaded. And what that means is deer are pounding the apple trees. However, you know, many of those have fallen or have about exhausted themselves. So we are going to be looking at those, those apples early in the season because they're going to get used up pretty quickly. So a lot of the, the deer that we have been seeing in food plots and fields right now are, you know, in the woods, they're in areas where they can get around these wild apples. And uh, I have a bunch of cameras out and my son was asking, you know, again last night, hey, where are we hunting Saturday morning? And the answer is, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to do a final camera poll tomorrow uh, lunchtime and I'm not taking a four-wheeler or a ranger thing. I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to low impact, you know, middle of the day when, you know, when deer are, are least likely to be there, pull camera cars because we have cameras on apples. We have cameras in the woods. We have some on food plots. We have some on trails. We're going to see where deer are active right now. And I'm going to make my decision to hunt Saturday morning based on what I see tomorrow from those cameras. So, understanding food sources. And then if you have the ability to use cameras to help, that's a tremendous help because deer are really shifting, you know, on day-to-day stuff right now. Their their movement patterns are are pretty fluid. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to lock myself into a stand now and figure I'm going to hunt it for the next two or three weeks. Uh, that's a good recipe for, for, you know, not seeing many deer. 
Yeah, that that that's a great point. I was actually just talking to uh, a friend of mine about this, I don't know, a day or two ago about how, I guess for a lot of years, you know, I, I've always enjoyed scouting, always spent a lot of time in the off season scouting. But what I would catch myself doing is once deer season started, you know, I, I would just strictly hunt. You know, the scouting was over with. I'd already done my scouting. But man, like you said there, things change so frequently. You, you have to stay on top of these deer. You have to constantly be out there scouting and finding that, you know, that current food source and, and those current patterns. Or, you know, you'll just be hunting old sign and, uh, you know, be very disappointed. So that's, that, that's a great point. I also would encourage people to start uh, from the outside and work in. And, and I'll tell you this, G, I learned this by accident. I used to get as far away from roads as I could or as far away from our camp. And I used to hunt almost exclusively out of climbing stands and you know, get way back in. Well, when my kids were young and I would take them with me, that forced me to hunt closer to camp or, or closer to a road. Simply, I, you know, they couldn't walk as far. I couldn't carry them as far. So we started hunting a lot more out of ground blinds and other things that were kind of at, you know, the, you know, the edges of fields or, you know, not as deep into some of the timber as I had in the past. Well, what I realized was, you know what, suddenly in many cases, I was seeing more deer and I was able to hunt out of those stands more times during the season because I was spooking fewer deer. So rather than going into, you know, woods and, and even if you didn't see deer blow out of there. Just, you know, that additional scent, that additional activity, you know, in many cases, we can be alerting them to our presence uh, accidentally. So I now will hunt kind of on the fringes first um, and then move kind of deeper into some of those areas as the season progresses, um, particularly as we get closer to the rut. And what I found is, man, I, I spook way fewer deer and I end up seeing a lot more deer during the course of the year simply because I'm not alerting them to my presence nearly as much uh, as if I'm right in the middle of the big woods, you know, right off the bat. So early season, you know, I, I start a little bit slower from that, and that has helped tremendously over the course of the season. Now, if you're only hunting one or two days, go at it. But like you, I hunt numerous days during the year. And uh, actually, you know, our, our boss is probably listening to this. So uh, we hunt a few <laughs> days during the year. That's it. Just the weekends. Not too many. That's right. Just the weekends. That's right. So that, that allows, you know, those days to be productive, you know, many more times during the course of a season than, than just once or twice. So alerting deer to your presence is always a bad thing. So anything that you can do to minimize that helps you not just today or tomorrow hunting, but through the course of that entire year. Yeah, that, that's a great point. We actually have an episode coming up. We've I've already recorded with um, a, a, a guy named Dylan Stewart, a uh, researcher or a, a student, and Dr. Will Goldsby uh, talking about th this very subject about, you know, it's not necessarily that that the deer are preferring for thick cover or these way out of the way places. It's just simply a factor of hunting pressure. You know, if, if the, if the hunting pressure is not there, you know, they'll be in those, those more obvious places. They may be in those more open areas and, and places like you're talking about field edges and that kind of stuff. But it's just all a, a factor of, of that hunting pressure trumps, you know, a lot of this other stuff that, um, you often hear, you know, you hear on the podcast and the YouTube videos, you know, hunt deep and hunt the thick stuff. And, and yeah, that, that certainly can be good advice, but you know, if, if you're, if you're in an area where pressure is limited, then, you know, it may not, may not take that. So. 
just thought that was a good, a good tie-in. So that's a that's a future episode coming up here in, in a few weeks that uh, I would encourage the listeners to check out. With that, let's talk a little bit about rut timing because it's also, again, we're getting into October here. It won't be long. You're going to you're going to start hearing speculation, you know, on, on the rut and, you know, when, when the rut's going to hit, you know, if you have a little cold snap, then, then guys will be talking about, oh, we're, you know, we might, we're going to have an early rut this year, or, or maybe we'll have a, a warm spell and it's going to be, oh, it's going to push the rut back. We're going to have a late rut. But is any of that actually based on science? What, what does the science tell us about the timing of the rut? The, the science is very clear on this one as well, and that the, the, the rut is going to be about exactly the same time in your area that it was last year and the year before and the year before that. For most of the country, you know, it's early November, and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, that is allows fawns to hit the ground in the spring, perfectly timed with a green up, you know, so there, there's no advantage to the rut being really early one year or really late another um, there's been a tremendous amount of, of research done looking at all different types of environmental factors relative to the rut. You know, does it change based on temperature? Does it change based on any, you know, rain? Does it change based on moon phase? And what it's all is very clear, it does not. Now, that's not to say that there's not some behavioral or some movement things that we see that can be a little different with some of those other factors. But as far as when does are actually bred, it's very consistent from year to year. And for most of the country, that's going to be early to mid-November. Um, the southeast is a little different. And in fact, in the southeast, there are deer rutting sometime between July and January or February every single year. But uh, you get out of the deep south, almost every other hunter in the country, their whitetails uh, are going to be rutting, you know, mid to or early to mid-November. And, and that's something that you can absolutely take to the bank. And now, how do, how do biologists and researchers... Um, how do they know that? How do they know exactly when these deer are, are conceiving? There's a, there's a scale called a fetal scale that actually our founder, Mr. Joe Hamilton developed uh, a long time ago based on taking deer from captivity. They knew the exact day they were bred. They then euthanized them as, as every stage during that pregnancy. It would measure the fetuses. We know that that uh, fetus the gestation length for those does is 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 about two hundred days. So they know the day the deer was bred. They knew when they were going to have it. So from that, they're able to estimate how old uh, a fetus is based on size. And uh, and once a fetus is about forty days old, it's long enough to to be measured. So you can estimate conception date and then the day it would be born. And when they're about sixty days old, we can tell whether that fetus was going to be a buck or a doe. So knowing this, biologists then can collect fetuses from does that are harvested at least 40 days after the peak of the rut. If you're in the north like me, most of our deer seasons don't happen then. Um, but there's a bunch of the country, you know, that still has seasons that are so long that you can harvest does that have fetuses that are, you know, over 40 days old. So biologists can pull those fetuses, measure them. They know when that deer was bred. If you're in the north, biologists get a lot of that data from roadkill deer. Let's get roadkill deer in the winter or spring, pull fetuses, measure them, then they can estimate when that doe was bred. So this is the type of data that we have. So we know very, very clearly, okay, you know, we know this doe was bred on, you know, November 1st or November 3rd. And, you know, can you be off a day? Sure, you might be off one day here or there, but you're not off a couple of weeks here or there. 
like some feel, you know, uh, the rut swings based on moon phase or other things that we know that's just simply not true. So by collecting uh, data from these harvested deer, we know very clearly here is when most of the breeding happens. Now, that doesn't mean, gee, that there isn't some breeding like early. So, for example, in Pennsylvania, we know the vast majority of the does are going to be bred over, you know, about a 10-day window in, in early to mid-November. However, there are still some does that will come into heat in September, you know, and some in, in October. And then some that won't come in and often they're fawns that come in late, you know, in January. So there's deer that are bred over, you know, a much wider window than just the peak of the rut. But fortunately, the rut in most states now is, is a very intense, short time period, you know, about a 10-day period where the vast majority of those does are bred. So you can still see rutting activity earlier or later than that, um, but most of it happens over a pretty short window. And, and that is very, very good for that deer herd. Yeah. Is that, is that timing trigger within an individual deer is that something that's genetic so you know if that if that doe you're talking about that maybe comes in a little earlier than the rest of them is she likely to continue that pattern throughout her lifetime in the southern u.s absolutely in the north um it's triggered far more by just the photo period or the number of uh, you know hours of, of sunlight in a day um as that amount decreases in late summer and early fall a deer's eyes pick that up sends information to the brain to let them know, hey, it's time to breed. In the South, that photo period still is very, very important, but genetics can play a bigger role. And by genetics, I mean where deer were restocked in different places, you know, in the 1900s. Where they came from has, you know, depended on when they were predominantly breeding, still has a lingering effect on when they'll breed today. And that's why some states like Alabama or Mississippi, you have deer, you know, that can rut over a course of, you know, a month difference, you know, in parts of those states simply because of that. And that's because the environmental cues are not as strong in the South because the old man winter isn't nearly as important there as it is in the North. So since they have a wider window that they can, they can breed, meaning there's a wider time when those fawns hit the ground in the spring that they still can grow adequately before that first fall. You do see some of those genetic impacts that you're talking about having a difference on whether that doe comes in, you know, in mid-November or December or in some cases, January. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm originally from Kentucky, so I was always, you know, grew up with that that early November, you know, timing, pretty pretty specific and, and fairly narrow window. And uh, now, now I live down here in Georgia, and like you said, it's it's definitely a whole different ball game down here. It amazes me how you can have one county in in West Central Georgia here that's you know your normal November rut, and then go just across the line in Alabama, and it it may be you know a, a January rut. It's it's just uh, yeah, it's always intrigued me how you have such such a difference just in a short you know span of. Uh, of distance. Yeah. And you know, one thing too, that hunters often, I think, uh, misunderstand about the rut is they think, okay, the rut's on, deer are going to be going crazy everywhere. And, uh, and, and that's just simply not true. You know, you, the, the rut can be an awesome, awesome time to hunt, or the rut can be a very lonely time to be in the woods. You know, if there is not, you know, a hot doe near where you are. And uh, a perfect example, of this has happened several years ago. It was early November. Uh, on our farm, I'm hunting. Uh, actually, it was November 6th uh, at, because this is my favorite day of the whole year to hunt. Um, archery season, by noon that day, I'd seen, gosh, it was like 10 or 12 different bucks. 
And uh, what happened, there was just a, a hot doe came right by me just after daylight. So I saw activity, you know, all day deer were just pouring by because, you know, all these bucks were on that trail. My best friend was hunting about 400 yards away from me on our farm. And I remember thinking, man, this is like the greatest day. I'm sure Scott's having a great time. Well, I talked to him that night and he said, it was a terrible day. He saw like two deer the entire day. <laughs> and I said, how could you see nothing? I mean, it was like the biggest activity of the year. Well, the next day I was back in there again. He was hunting again and the roles were exactly reversed. He had an unbelievable day, you know, four or 500 yards away from me the next day. And I saw almost nothing. So, uh, you know, it really impressed upon me, man, you know, if you, it can be a lot of fun for sure. But if you're just in an area where, you know, maybe it was my scent being two days in a row and, you know, I spooked a deer, I don't know, but for whatever reason, you know, we had opposite tails of that two days in a row. So hunters, just because it's the rut doesn't magically mean you're going to see deer everywhere. You know, there may be a hunter near you seeing a pile of deer, but you may be the guy that because of that, you're seeing absolutely nothing. So, uh, I tell hunter, and then you'll hear hunters say, well, you know, the rut didn't happen in my area or it must have happened early or no, it happened at the exact same time. You know, it just, you just may not have been where you were in a good spot to, to, to witness much of it. Yeah. It's all about being there at the right time. You know, when that, when that hot dose around and that's a fairly narrow window of time, isn't it? Uh, how, I mean, how long are these deer, these does in estrus, uh, an individual doe? That yeah. Is. Usually. Yeah, usually 24 to 36 hours. Uh, once they come into heat, they'll stay in heat for that long. And then, you know, and, the, you know, and they can be bred repeatedly during that time. Uh, fortunately, because that, you know, that often makes, you know, more deer want to be on the feed and be chasing them. So it gives us a little better chance as hunters to, to catch a deer moving at times. But um, so, yeah, 24 to 36. And then they'll, you know, if they're bred, great. And if not, um, they won't, they won't cycle again for about another 28 days. So. Fortunately, most of the does are bred during that cycle, which means then we have fawns hitting the ground at the appropriate time the following spring. This this whole rut talk got me thinking uh, and uh, talking about, you know, these doe estrus timing and, and everything. There seems to be two different um, trains of thought when it comes to, I guess, property management and and when you're when to shoot your does. Um as it relates to the rut, because you'll have some guys say, you know, no, no, never shoot your does before the rut because you want as many does as possible on your property there when the rut comes in. And that, you know, that makes sense in, in, in theory. Uh, but then, you know, I've also heard, no, go ahead and, and shoot those does early. And by, you know, balancing that, that uh, buck to doe ratio, you'll see more intense rutting action. So which, which is, which is the case? What's the better, uh, I guess, management strategy there. In almost every case, the better management strategy is to shoot those does early. I'm a huge fan of early season doe harvest. Um, one is you then have a better opportunity to make sure that you achieve that doe harvest that you want, you know, whether if, particularly if it's multiple does that you want to get, get your freezer full, you know, remove the number of deer that need to be removed so that there's the right number of deer in the landscape. That is so much easier to be achieved or easier or achievable if you start early. Um, also, if you do shoot those does early, then by the time the rut comes around, you can focus 100% on hunting bucks. You know, you don't have to mess around then, you know, trying to, to get your doe or, or get the, the number of does you need to. Um, also, if you shoot them early, you're saving all that food for other deer. 
you know, think about it, you know, deer, deer will eat five to, to 10 pounds of food a day at, the, at that time of the year as they're trying to put on all that uh, fat to go into winter. So say, you know, I shoot a doe opening day of our archery, which is October 2nd, that same doe, you would have been eating five to 10 pounds of food a day. If I didn't shoot her until our rifle season comes in December, you know, that's a lot of food that's saved from every single doe that shot early, that then is food available for those other deer. So there's lots and lots of advantages of shooting early. You mentioned one of them, you know, that if, if you can balance that sex ratio more as before the rut, that means that there's more competition for those older bucks. That means bucks are on their feet and moving more and hey, you know, you have never, ever heard a hunter say, man, when I go hunting tomorrow, I hope all the bucks are bedded. I hope none of them are moving. <laughs> they don't say that. We say, I hope they're on their feet and moving. And a good way to get them on their feet and move is to have competition for breeding. If there are piles and piles of does and there's very little competition, you know, they don't need to move much. That's not what we want as hunters. So early season doe harvest is the answer in almost every case. The only exception to that when I would wait until the rut to shoot does is if I was in an area that had a very low density deer herd, you know, one that was maybe well below what the habitat could support and we really didn't need to shoot any does. Um, and in that case, there would be some value to, to having those does around during the rut. But those cases are pretty few and far uh, between here. Uh, there's a lot of hunters that may think there's not enough deer in their area. Um, but the reality of it is, in almost every single case, you will be helping your buck hunting if you shoot those does early. There you go. Get it done early. That way, you <laughs> I also know, uh, you know, sometimes when you wait, they, those does get harder and harder to come by as the season goes on, too. And uh, you might end up with, uh, I've had more than one buddy end up with an empty freezer at the end of the year because they were waiting till late season to kill them does. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, they can often become the hardest things to hunt, you know, because, you know, they, they key into us, you know, we spook them from a stand a few times and suddenly, you know, they are really on to what's happening and they can become almost impossible to kill. Um, and the worst thing is that, is that they are teaching other deer out there how to avoid us. Um, several years ago in a stand that, you know, the, on our farm was a wooden stand that I'd hunt out of for years, shot a lot of deer out of the stand. In one particular rifle season, you know, I just wasn't seeing much. So I was right at the top of a hill. So I got out of my stand, snuck over to the edge of the hill, and I literally watched a group of does who was out of sight from my wooden blind approach an area down the hill where they could see that blind, you know, and that, the lead doe was looking back and staring right at it. And I thought, you bugger, you know, you are teaching everybody where, and I realized it's my fault. I'm the one that had just hunted out of that too much and had, you know, Shot a bunch of deer, yes, but I had spooked deer from it. So that doe not only knew that that was a danger spot, she was teaching all those other deer with her. So yeah, don't don't educate adult does, don't let adult does go uh, early in the season. You know, if you can get them, get them because uh, you know that that's going to make your hunting better through the course of the year. And uh, you know, then they are not going to be teaching other deer and bucks. You know. Hey, avoid this area during the year because there's a hunter here. You know, that's the last thing in the world that, that we want to happen. Yeah, I used to see it a lot working when I worked for the, um, well, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife and Georgia DNR working these short, like three day gun hunts, you know, you get a lot of guys coming in and they'd be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to buck hunt, but I'll shoot a doe on the last day. You know, I'm going to wait till the last day. And if I hadn't got anything, I'll shoot a doe. More times than not, they'd go home empty-handed because by that last day, <laughs> there wasn't a deer to be found. You know, they'd done been 
educated. So, yeah, you got to watch that that weight strategy. I agree with you 100 percent on that. And, uh, you know, you take a look at a lot of uh, fenced facilities where they're trying to remove deer out of them. In many cases, uh, the adult does are the last deer remaining. Uh, you know, they can kill even those adult bucks first, but those adult does are so good at avoiding hunters. And, and that just makes it amazing, you know, that many people look at does as a consolation prize. Not me at all, particularly an adult doe, uh, or especially one that's older, you know, a fully mature doe. Man, that's one of the most difficult deer in the woods to trick. So uh, that should be looked at as a trophy every single opportunity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about one more thing kind of related to the rut here before we wrap things up. And that is, uh, you'll hear guys talk about this lockdown phase. You know, these the deer are, or a, a doe, I guess, is coming to estrus and, and this buck gets with her and, and they're locked down. So they don't see movement. Again, it kind of goes back to the, you know, the October low and all this other stuff where they're not seeing a lot of deer movement. So they're, they're blaming it on bucks being locked down with does. Is there any science behind that at all? Is, is there a lockdown phase for bucks? Not really. And, and deer, a buck will get with a doe and will stay with her for a, for a period of time while she's in heat. As we said, those does will be in estrus for 24 to 36 hours. So in some cases, you know, a buck will chase her and be with her prior to that. And, you know, he may stay with her for that whole day or that day and a half, breed her repeatedly during that course. And when she comes out of heat, he will then leave, you know, and, and go looking for somebody else. So, is he locked down? That one buck and that one doe, yeah, they can be, you know, in an area where they don't travel a lot. However, you know, as hunters, we hear this lockdown phase, what makes it think, well, for the next week, nobody's moving. You know, the entire deer herd is like, that's simply not true because not every single deer comes into heat at the exact day or even the exact hour of that day. So, the, you know, you may be in a situation where there are some does that are, you know, are, are with a mature buck who is able to defend her, you know, chase others off, that they don't move that much. Um, but in most cases, you have other, you have multiple bucks on that scent trail, you know, after that doe, you have multiple does coming in. So there's still movement going on. Now, I've, I've had plenty of, of, of quiet days during the rut and feels like more than my share at times when, man, you know, you just know something exciting is happening somewhere, just not right here. Uh, but the science is very clear. All of those deer are not locked down. Some may be, but there are still deer moving. Um, the bigger thing is, one, is the habitat where you're hunting conducive to deer, you know, wanting to travel through there and feeling safe traveling through there. They, they can throw caution to the wind during the rut, but it's a, you know, it, it's a misnomer to think that all oh, they throw all caution and they're just out there running everywhere. They're still whitetails. They still survive. So, you know, they're, they're still very cued into scents and sounds and things that aren't supposed to be there. And in many cases, you know, where we're hunting, if we're simply not seeing anything, you know, some of that can be on us where we just either don't have uh, a habitat to make deer want to be there, or we have just overpressured it, or maybe we're currently pressuring it from our scent going right to where deer, you know, would be traveling to us from. So there's a lot of things that go into that whole lockdown thing. And, uh, but the science does does let us know for sure that not every deer out there is locked down at the same time. So if, you know, at any point during, you know, the month of November or December or wherever the rut is in your area, you know, there's a chance for you to be able to see deer. And there might be a deer that you haven't seen, you know, that comes through from, you know, the neighbors or, you know, a few miles down the road that's on one of these excursions, you know, during the rut. So 
if I tell people, man, if it's the fall there, go hunting. Absolutely go hunting because even if it's a little bit slow right now, it can all change in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much the, the take home message for all this. Uh, you know, just be out there as much as you can, particularly during the rut, you know, because like you said, it, it can change in an instant. It can go from your slowest day of hunting to your best day of hunting ever. And, you know, in the snap of the fingers. So it's just uh, it's all about spending time in the stand and, uh, you know, also just just hunting smart, moving around and, uh, you know, being uh, being mobile, I guess. I think that being mobile is a great uh, suggestion for folks. You know, we, we, we get too locked into a certain stand um, because, if, oh, it's easy to go there, whether it's a lock on or whether it's a ladder or a ground blind or whatever. Yeah, it's already there. I'll go and sit. And, you know, and as hunters, we tend to be lazy. Well, in many cases, you know, deer are cued into to where we have been going. So we hurt ourselves a lot from that. So your last suggestion to the folks to be mobile can pay huge dividends for folks just simply because you're not going to the same spot. Um, so you're not having all that scent there. That also means that as you see something, you know, happen in the woods, you can be moved to that spot more quickly. I have a good friend that is extremely successful hunting because he hunts on a climber, particularly during the, the rut. He will climb, just get to a spot that he thinks is good. As soon as he sees a doe that is out of range of him, because he's mostly a bow hunter, he will get down and move his climber right to where she was. You know, even if he, he spooks a deer in, in the act of doing it, because, and I've told him in the past, you're crazy. And he says, yeah, call me crazy. But if she has, you know, She's attracting bucks. And even if I spook one right now, I'm going to get to where she was, get in a tree. And at some point today, another buck is going to come through there. And he has killed a pile of bucks because of that strategy. And it's being mobile, like you just said, you know, the willingness to be able to move, to adapt to a different trail or a different food source. So, uh, yeah, if there's one good strategy people can take going into this fall is, you know, I think hunt low pressure, do everything possible not to overpressure deer and be willing to move like that. And that can pay huge dividends. Yeah, that that's a great strategy. I like that. I, I try to stay mobile, but I, I I can say I've never got down in the middle of a hunt and moved my stand because I, I've seen a doe off in the distance. But yeah, it makes sense. If that, if that doe happens to be hot, there's going to be other deer come through there. Uh, checking that scent trail. So yeah, I, I might have to, uh, might have to give that a try this fall. That's, I haven't done that either, but you're in a perfect situation now that you're hunting out of a saddle. You absolutely can do that. So, uh, oh, yeah. you'll have to, yep. you'll have to be the, the test guy for us. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's definitely worth just moving like that at times and not going to the same spot. That alone can help people be more successful. Yeah. And just trying, man, I just enjoy trying something different, you know, even if, even if it doesn't end up producing, you know, you don't know until you try. So I'm, that's that's half the fun of hunting is just, you know, trying different things and, and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't and, and learning from it. So, yeah, get out there and get out there and try some new stuff this season, particularly, you know, if you're not having the, the type of success that that you'd like to have, you know, you got nothing to lose. So, yep. But with that, Kip, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, you've you've answered everything I had in mind today. I, I certainly appreciate your time and uh, enjoy talking to you as always. Good deal. Well, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you. Uh, certainly, it's always nice to talk hunting and uh, and strategies and that. And uh, I'm super impressed with with particularly your uh, your mobility while you're hunting. You know the way that you use uh, Onyx and other things to to scout. I'm 
success obviously came from that this past year when you killed two uh, really nice bucks with your bow public land. So uh, I think the stuff that you share here and we're able to share as an organization certainly can help folks be more successful. So uh, that's a lot of fun for me. And uh, I look forward uh, for, uh, to hearing stories this year with, with how our listeners and, and how NDA members uh, were successful. And uh, yeah, they share pictures, they share stories. And man, that makes all this worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. I kept anybody who might want to keep up with you during the during the course of the season here on on social media. What's the uh, what's the best way for them to do that? They can they can follow me either on an Instagram, which is Kip Adams underscore NDA, uh, or on Facebook, which is just Kip Adams. So uh, try to share uh, information about some hunts with uh, with hunters that I take out, or uh, or some tips of of current things that's going on to help others. So. Uh, um, and of course, uh, our uh, our Deer Association site does a great job sharing great information relative to helping folks be successful. So uh, I, I I certainly follow that. But uh, folks want to follow me. Uh, that's how they can, and uh, hopefully, I can share something that'll that'll help them this fall. Absolutely. Well, I'll, uh, I definitely enjoy following along, seeing uh, what you and your family are up to, and and how your season is going. And uh, I'll definitely be be keeping up with you this year. That sounds great. And uh, certainly good luck to all our listeners here. I hope them are uh, the best for this season. Have a safe season. And uh, I hope uh, they get to make a lot of memories this fall. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Kip Adams. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots habitat improvement um, deer management you name it uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related we got some good content right there on our website available to you so check that out and of course you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms facebook instagram twitter and youtube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.